0: Welcome to the fourth week in the Crazy Makers series, and today, as you saw up there, we are talking about everyone's favorite topic. We're talking about boundaries, but let me just catch everyone up to speed because I see a lot of new faces here right now. We're happy that you're here joining us. You're in the middle, we're in the middle of a series called Crazy Makers, and it's talking about those relationships in our lives that make us crazy. That's what makes them crazy makers. And last week, We talked about taking initiative when it comes to resolving conflicts, about how we are peacemakers and we should all take the initiative to go out and seek those who there might be some conflict with. Okay, and then now I look across here and I see a lot of new faces, so looks like, you know, it worked. Okay, so if you were invited randomly here today, you know, just take it, whatever, take it as you want, all right? Someone may be addressing a problem without you even noticing it. Today we're going to talk about boundaries. And if you don't understand what boundaries are, then you can never have real relational health in life because boundaries are something that will always be attacked by the relationships around us. I'll give you a story. Once upon a time, there was a man, a dad, who had a daughter, and that daughter came to him and uttered those words that no dad ever wants to hear his daughter say. Not those words, okay? She said, I'm getting married. Okay, nice words, okay, not the other kinds of words, okay? And so the dad had been preparing for this day for a long time, said, okay, who's the boy? I want to meet the boy. And she said, he's the best boy and all this kind of stuff. So they arranged for him to meet the boy. The boy comes over. Dad sits him down and says, okay, you know, tell me what is it you do? And the boy says, nothing. says, I don't got a job. He says, I don't have a job and I haven't had one for a few months, but God will provide so he did the God will provide card. Okay? You know what the God will provide means? It means either this person is like an angel come down from heaven and God feeds him manna every day, or he's a lazy bum. All right? One of those two. So he said, God will provide, and I trust fully that God will provide. Dad said, okay, girl likes this boy. I'll look past this one. Let's, get, let's, try, let's keep going. He said, okay, tell me about your, you know, like your assets in life. You got money saved up. Like, you got, like, a car, you got a house, like, you got a boat, like, a a 401k. Like, what what is it? You got anything? Boy said, no. But don't worry, because I trust that God will provide. Very spiritual young man. Dad says, okay, I'll go one more. So the dad asks him. Okay, I understand that you got nothing. But what are your dreams, aspirations, plans for life? I'm giving you my daughter. Tell me what your plans are for the rest of your life. Kid says... Nothing. But don't worry, because I fully expect that God will provide. Dad storms out of the room. Can't take it anymore. Mom walks in, okay, and she sees the dad. She says, what's going on? And the dad says, well, I met the boy and I got good news and bad news. She said, okay, what's the bad news? She said, the bad news, he ain't got no job. He got no plans for a job. He got no assets. He's got nothing. She said, okay, what's the good news? The good news is, He thinks I'm God. (laughs) For some of us, that story might hit a little bit too close to home. Because the essence of any crazy-making relationship, for the most part, is that there's someone out there who is expecting you to be God for them. And expecting you to be the solution for a problem they have that you can't solve. You be God in my finances. You be the solution to my finances. You be God in my emotional distress, and my loneliness. You be the solution. My personality flaws or my weaknesses. You be God and you cover all those up. If it makes you crazy when someone expects you to play the role of God in their life, then you are perfectly normal because it should make you crazy, because you were never made to play the role of God. God is God, and we are not the role of God. What we want to talk about today is where do we draw boundary lines? People are in need all around us. Should we help them or shouldn't we help them? Someone is in need of talking and a listening ear. Do I help them? Well, how much do I help them? Do I stay with them all night? Do I go with them? Uh, To wherever they need me to go or do I say no and cut them off this one needs money How much money should I give should I give a little should I give nothing this one is in need of a place to stay? When is it okay? When is it not okay? What are the boundaries? That's what we're gonna talk about here today first. Let's get a definition of what is a boundary a Boundary simply put is something that defines an area of responsibility in general in life you live in a house, there are boundaries of that house. And the boundaries determine what your level of responsibility is. And, and, and you know, your boundary may be a fence, okay, or it could be like a wall, you know, a, a moat, okay, with an alligator inside, like whatever it is. Whatever it is that defines what's your property, and anything inside that boundary is your responsibility and anything outside that boundary is not your responsibility. Simple, right? Why it's important to know our boundaries in the physical world, then we'll get to, like, the spiritual, okay? In the physical world, it's important that I live in this house. I know the boundary between me and you is right here. Why is that important? Because if I know where the boundary is and something happens on this side, I can't just look and say, well, buddy, fix it. And by the same token, if something happens on that side, I'm not supposed to necessarily run in and solve it because it's outside of my boundaries, Imagine if I told you, I need you to protect and take care of all this land. Okay? Or, or I no, I sorry, I told you to take this is all land, and there's no boundaries, and you have to take care of your peace, you'd be very confused because you're like, what's my peace and what's her peace and what's his peace? And if you don't know the boundaries, it leads to confusion, leads to frustration, leads to people button heads and causing conflict. Well, the same is true in an emotional and spiritual sense. King Solomon. Proverbs 24, verse 23 said, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. Other translations would say guard your heart, because out of it spring the issues of life. That leads me to the following sentence. Anything that affects my heart is my responsibility. And I'll break down what that sentence means. Anything that affects my heart is my responsibility, and I must take ownership of it. My thoughts, my feelings, my desires, my affections, my bitternesses and resentments, my anger, all those things flow out of the heart. And anything that flows out of the heart is my responsibility. And because it's my responsibility, I can't sit here and get angry at you because you didn't solve it. The key in understanding boundaries is understanding the difference between fault versus responsibility. Something may be your fault, but it may be my responsibility. For example, if you, if someone is mean to you, okay, let's say, you know, my coworker is mean to me. It's their fault that I'm feeling angry right now, but it's not their responsibility to solve the anger. It's my responsibility. See how that works? It's their fault that I'm messed up. But it's my responsibility to be unmessed up because ultimately I'm going to be held accountable for my behavior and my actions and whatever, whatever, whatever happens outside of my heart. The easy thing to do is say, no, it's their fault, they should fix it. And I'm not going to get fixed until they fix it. Well, if I'm here, imagine this. One time, um, we lost the key to our house. Like in my house, we got the deadbolt with the key that goes inside. Okay, so you, And then one day, like... We couldn't find the key anymore. Key was missing, and it was the same day the cleaning people were there. So, of course, you know we assumed that oh, the cleaning people took the key. Whose fault is it that the key is missing? They didn't take the key, by the way. Just so you know, I don't want to badmouth my cleaning people okay, in case they ever listen to this. It wasn't them. We found out it wasn't, but at the time we thought it was them. Whose fault is it that the key is missing? Their fault. Okay, so they have to fix it. Okay, that sounds nice in theory. But what's inside that house is valuable to me. And if if something happens to what's inside, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, it's not my fault that robbers came and stole everything. It's their fault. Okay, that's very nice. But it's your responsibility. And it's the same thing in our lives. Boundaries help define what is my responsibility and what is not my responsibility. And some of us need to address this area of boundaries. And understand what is a healthy way of living when it comes to boundaries. Because we can go to various extremes. Like there are some who have too many boundaries. And those boundaries, like as we'll see, boundaries are meant to be like fences. Fences with gates. Boundaries are not meant to be brick walls. And some people go to one extreme of brick walls. I live for myself. I'm independent. I don't help no one. I don't care about no one. Brick walls, no one gets in, no one gets out. It's like Alcatraz. That's not how it's supposed to be. But then we don't want to go to the opposite extreme, which is every man for himself and free-flowing, and anyone comes in, they, they, they go shopping in my kitchen, they walk out, whatever it is they want. We want to make sure that we have a healthy way of doing this boundary thing, because if you don't, your friendships will suffer, your emotional health will suffer, your relationship with God will suffer. Many things will suffer in life. Just like I said, if I lose the key to my house and my house is now defenseless and someone comes in and steals it, I'm the one who's going to suffer. And the same is going to happen for many of us. And I'll tell you who it's worse for if you don't have good boundaries. It's worse if you're spiritual. If you're a spiritual person because you know what's going to happen? You don't have good boundaries. You're going to come to church and then the guy standing up here where I'm standing is going to say, no, 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 you have to turn the other cheek. No, 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 you got to go the extra mile. No, no, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to love like Christ loved. And you're supposed to be loving even your enemies. And you're supposed to, even they crucified him and he prayed for them. And you're going to start to get guilt and, and feeling like, like weighed down by this stuff. And you're going to find yourself messed up. That's why a lot of spiritual people, church people are messed up. priest is going to call you and say, the church needs help. Whatever time of day it is, you're going to say, well, I got no choice. I got to leave my wife. I got to leave my kids. Church needs help. need someone to do this. Some- messed up. What we want to do is we don't want to have walls, but we don't want to have just speed bumps either. We want to have something in between. We want to have a fence that protects us, but there's a gate, okay, and the fence opens and good comes in and bad No, thank you. See how that works? My house is fenced. Okay, when the kids are knocking, we open. Okay, when the robbers are knocking, we close. When you may come, we open. Okay. (laughs) When the people trying to uh, the 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 guys on the bikes and the tie and they try to uh, convince, no, thank you. (laughs) Okay. It's 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 it's, I'd lose my job. Okay, so it's not uh, not not gonna work out for me. The goal is neither of the two extremes. The goal is healthy way of boundaries. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 and 23 talks about this fence to protect you. Open, close. Open, close. Flee also youthful lust. Bad. When those come, close. But then when other stuff, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call the Lord out of pure heart. Open. You see those things? Open, come on in. And then we got some avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing they generate strife. When those guys are in, you escort them to the gate. See how this works? This is the way our life is supposed to be. Not closed, but not open. Boundaries. Where things that are good, we let them in. Things that are bad, we say no thank you. What we're going to do is we're going to look at if you got boundary problems. There's like four areas that you might have a problem. All right? And they're not mutually exclusive of one another. And some of you, I hope, we get to the point where we have none of these problems... But they're on two scales, on the can't say, can't hear, and the no and yes. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. First is people who can't say yes. These are people with walls, not gates. People who can't say yes, they're called avoidance. And avoidance is someone can't open up, can't share, can't express what's inside them. Maybe they got burned as a child, maybe they've been... You know, like whatever, they got their trust was abused. Whatever reason, I'm not trying to pretend like I'm Dr. Phil here and I can understand the reasons. For whatever reason, some of us, we don't open up. And what happens with these people, they appear like they're very good listeners. They appear that way. Because anytime there's a conversation, it's all about you. Oh, and tell me how you're doing. And you ask them how they're doing. Oh, we're fine. Uh, Tell me about this. And they appear like, oh, wow, they're very caring and they're loving. They're not. They just don't want to let anyone in. I mean, they might be. I'm not saying that they're not. But I'm saying, that's not what's driving them. What's driving them is arm's length. Don't get inside. And as soon as you say, how's my day? My day was fine. My day, everything was fine. How's your day? How's your this? And uh, we always like to keep, you're in the void, you like to keep it all out there. Because you got big walls as opposed to gates. This might not seem like that big a deal, but like we talked about last week, your relationship with man is connected to your relationship with God. These people? Ask them to do stuff for God? Sure. Then you tell them, you need to sit down and examine yourself. They struggle. Because they don't like to go deep. You need to spend some time examining for repentance. Struggle to repent. Struggle to pray. Because they're not, they don't want anything to get inside here. That's number one. Second one is the people who are just the opposite. We will call them the Okay, we will call them the compliance. Somehow it just does that every night. If you don't mind, take that. Thank you. We'll call them the compliance. The compliance are the people who can't say the opposite, who can't say no. A person who can't. So we said first the avoidant. There we go. Thank you. The avoidant was someone who can't say yes, so he keeps the good out. The problem with the compliant is the exact opposite. They keep. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. They keep the, the, the bad from coming in. These are the ones, the compliance, the ones who struggle. These are the ones with no boundaries. They say yes to anything. And they're always there. And they, again, appear with they in their mind. They're loving. They're caring. They're fulfilling the commandment of the gospel. They're always there. They bend over backwards. They'll do anything for you. Not necessarily because they're loving. Oftentimes it's out of guilt oftentimes out of shame, oftentimes out of feeling not spiritual enough. So this person came and said, "Um, I need you to, I need to talk. And you know, this person's going to talk for 16 hours. But this person needs me. But my, um, I was supposed to finish this for work, and I didn't go grocery shopping. And, but this person needs me. And this person is constantly dealing with guilt and feeling like he's never, he or she is never good enough. This person will agree, not because they agree, but because they just want to keep peace. They don't want to upset anyone. They take it all kind of inside. Like I said, it's not mutually exclusive. Can you be both a compliant and an avoidant? Yeah. You know how? A compliant someone, and a lot of us, we have to be honest, we we fit this. When someone else needs us, we're always there. You need me for 15 hours to, 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 to help you fix something at your house, even though I shouldn't, and I, I, I haven't slept, and even though whatever, I'm going to be there. I need help for five minutes, and I can't ask anyone. See how that works? The compliant in me, okay, I'll do it. Do it with a smile. And then the avoidant in me, when I need help, no, no don't ask for help. Yeah, you can be both, all right? Now let's flip to the other side, which is the what you can't hear, now you're dealing with others. Two options here, the controller and then the non-responsive. The controller is the one who can't hear a no. The controller is everyone who's in customer service. This is your worst nightmare. Because this is the guy that can't hear when you say, sorry, sir, that's not allowed. Or sorry, sir, you can't return that here. Or sorry, sir, you've passed the 30 day expiration. That person can't hear, no, they can't respect someone else's boundaries. And for them, (laughs) They come straight at you. Wall, no wall. They're going through the wall. The non-responsive is the opposite extreme. That's the person who everyone is a wall, okay? And this person is in need. They put up a wall real quick, and they don't see the needs of others. This person tends to be more self-absorbed, kind of focus on themselves. And this person probably, again, maybe have been burned before. I'm not getting burned again. That person needs help. I'll pray for that person. This person is very spiritual. They pray for everyone, okay? They just pray for people. question. How do we find balance? How do we find balance? This is so complicated. How do I know? Just tell me. Say yes. Say no. Am I responsible for everyone? Sometimes I feel like, yes, I'm responsible. And sometimes I feel like, no, don't help them. Let them help themselves. No, but you got to, am I responsible? Answer me this question. Am I responsible for others or just myself? Who say I'm responsible for others? Who say just myself? conflicted conflicted answer trick question am I responsible for others no but I am responsible to others that's deep stuff that's deep 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 stuff I'm not responsible for others but I am responsible to others. What in the world does that mean? Key for us is going to be a passage from Galatians chapter 6, where St. Paul was talking about this very topic, and he gave us what's our boundaries, and what's, like, what's within our boundaries, and what's not. Look what it says here. Two verses. Bear, verse 2 and verse 5. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That would make it sound like, am I responsible? It it sound like, yes. Bear one another's burdens. Someone has a burden, it's your responsibility. Because that's what Jesus taught us. That we don't just live in a shell and just say, I don't care about you. This person's in need, I need to be there. This person's in need, I have to fulfill the law of Christ, I have to be there. But then look at this verse, Galatians 6, 5. For each one should bear his own load. Is that conflicting with that? This seems to say, no, let them carry their own load. Why you need to help them? Who cares about them? They need to pick up their own. They need to be responsible. Which one is it? Key is in understanding the difference between the word burden and the word load. What is the difference between burden and load? If you go back to, like, the words that were written to us here when the, when the Scripture was first written, the word burden means something excessive. A weight which is too much to bear. Think of, like I'll draw a picture for you, each of these words, a huge boulder, okay? Like a huge boulder, something that one person can't carry on their own. A load is a knapsack, is a backpack, is, some, is your briefcase, okay, that you carry to work. What St. Paul is telling us here is that when you see someone with a boulder, if I'm here trying to carry this boulder like this, and I try to pick it up, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to get crushed underneath the weight. I can't carry it on my own. So when you see someone like that, run to help them. But then when they're carrying their backpack and they say, I'm tired, you carry this. Then you say, no, each one shall bear his own load. You see the difference? What's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility? The difference between the boulder and the knapsack. The burden and the load. If you take burden, I'm a mathematical guy. So burden and then load. And you say burden minus load equals you. Her burden minus her load equals me. That's my responsibility. Does that make sense? If your burden is this big, you're carrying a burden this big, this is what you can carry. And this is what I'm supposed to carry. Burden minus load equals me. My responsibility within my, backpack, within my boundaries. Biblically, let's look at some biblical examples. What is a good example? There's a story in the Bible which shows perfectly how you can be everything for a person and be like Christ himself to carry their burdens, but do so with good boundaries. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And you may never think of the story of the Good Samaritan as a story about boundaries, but watch this. In this story, y'all know how it goes. There's a man who's walking down the road, he gets beaten by robbers, left for dead. A priest, a spiritual person, walks by and does nothing because this person says, I'm busy. And I, uh, how am I going to help this guy? Look at all the people. I can't help them all. He had a wall. Okay? And said, it's not my problem. It's their problem. Then another guy, a Levite, came and did the same thing. Then this Samaritan guy came. And the Samaritan guy said, that guy can't help himself. I need to jump in and help him. And he jumped in. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. Took care of him. That's exactly the meaning of carrying someone's burdens. This guy was left for dead. He couldn't have gotten himself up. He Couldn't have taken care of himself. He couldn't have bandaged himself. He needed help. We as the body of Christ, we're Jesus on earth. That's our responsibility. And if we neglect this, we neglect all of the gospel. Because all of the gospel said that you are me, you're my ambassadors, and I came to help this guy. But is there a limit on the help? Look at the next verse. On the next day, so he spent the night there. On the next day, he did what? He what? He departed. On the next day, he departed. Took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend when I come, I will repay you. If the beat up guy was not good at accepting boundaries, what would he say? You're going to leave? You're going to leave me here? Leave me for dead? I like, take care of me, but, but what what if I I I I I get bleeding again? What if 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 I, I how am I gonna buy lunch? What if what if what if? The boundary guy looked the Samaritan said, "Look here, I carry your burden. Now you gotta pick up your own load, man. I helped you get to this point, but now you gotta toughen up a little bit. Here's two denarii. Took care of you. I told the guy to take care of you, and I need to leave because I have my load to carry. And if all I do is carry your load," And I can't carry my load. And I got a wife at home and she's part of my load. And I got to go take care of that. And I got kids. and I got a job. And I got to help. Maybe there's another guy who needs help. See how it works? We don't want either extreme. We don't want to ignore the guy. We don't want to move in with the guy. What do you think would happen if this good Samaritan continued, 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 and the guy never let him leave. Like, Let's say this good Samaritan was the compliant guy. So the guy would say, no, if you love Jesus, you would help me. And the guy felt guilty and he did it. And for weeks, he did it like this. What would happen to that good Samaritan? What do you think? Like extrapolate down the road. I bet you he can become bitter. He'd become angry. I bet you the next time he sees somebody in need, Spiritual, pray for them. Please, God, keep them away from me. (laughs) We don't want to get to that point. Did Jesus have good boundaries? Jesus was the king of boundaries. John 5, verse 7 and 8. The sick man. This is the story when Jesus was, was by the pool where all the sick people was there. And then the man who was paralyzed for 38 years and Jesus healed him. Sick man answered. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Jesus showed many, many examples in this one passage. That Jesus showed, I will help you with your burden, you carry your load. Why? What did he tell him to do? Rise, take your bed and walk. Why? If you're going to heal me, just heal me. Pick up the bed too while you're at it. Like, why? Like, you're going to heal me either way. You're going to fix my back and my spine and my stuff. Just make the bed. Hop up as well. No, you pick up your bed. Why? Because you can. I carry your burden, you carry your load. I'll show you else how Jesus had good boundaries. We'll talk about this in a little bit as well. How many sick people were hanging out by the pool this day? The Bible says. All the sick. Filled with sick people. How many did Jesus heal? Just one. We'll come back to that one. Let's save that one for a bit. We help people with their boulders, with their burdens. We let them carry their load. Something they can't carry, we jump in. Something they can carry, we let them carry it. Only one exception to this rule. Only one exception to this rule. And please, listen carefully to me here if you're married. If you're upstairs and it's nighttime, you're in bed and your wife says, I'd like a glass of water. That is not the time to preach to her a sermon about the difference between carrying your burden and bearing your load. And that is not the time to say, no, Father Anthony said that you should bear your own load. Please, don't do that. You will have a bad night and so will I. That's the exception. Let's talk practical steps. Practical steps to establishing good boundaries. Five practical steps. I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. Okay, Five practical steps. Number one, start win-win mindset. Start with a win-win mindset. What I mean by that is start by saying there's a solution to this situation, which is both good for that person and good for me. It's not all or nothing. It's not either they rot and die or I lose my life helping them. There's another option. There's another option besides I'm all in or I'm completely out. The option is I help and I get them, but then I leave them. Start with that win-win mindset because your mindset is so important when you start this because I truly believe that if we have this mindset and we're committed to searching for the win-win solution, nine out of 10 times, we'll find it. Nine out of 10 times, we'll find it if we're looking for it. Number two, now that you have the good of this person, you're not just selfish, you're not just, because if you don't do this, number one, don't do anything else that I say. Because if you're just seeking your own selfish, and you're just not really caring and loving them, everything I say is void. All right? don't, don't use what I'm going to say about setting boundaries to justify your own lack of love, and your own lack of caring, and your own self-centeredness. Don't do that. Okay, so I'm, I'm spending only one second on this one, but this is the most important one. That you care about what's best for that person, not just what gets me out of this commitment as quickly as possible. Number two, practice saying no. Practice saying no. Don't say no quickly. Don't say no unprayerfully. Don't say no selfishly. But at a certain point in time, you have to say no. Who was it that told us that no is such a bad thing to say. Who said no is a bad word? Who said that whenever anyone asks anything, you can't say no? Who said that? I think it had to either be a telemarketer or a salesperson. Or a person who is is always saying yes to these telemarketers and salespeople, and they have all those knife sets and, and 16 life insurance policies. That's the kind of person who says don't say no. We don't want to be that kind of person. No is not a bad word. Like I said, Jesus himself. Did Jesus say yes? You think all those other sick people, when Jesus healed that one guy by the pool, said, Hey, good for you. That's fantastic. We think they said as soon as he did that, Me, 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 me. They're like, uh, Let me tell you what I got. Let me show you what's on here. They all said, no, 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 let me show you. And what did Jesus say to all of them? No. How many dead people did Jesus raise? Just a handful. Two, three. And then they died again, and he didn't raise them again. A lot of blind people. He healed some. And some he didn't heal. It's it's mind-boggling, and I don't think I have an answer. Like there's no formula. Jesus didn't have a formula, but at times he said no. Actually, he, this is his formula. If you want to know what it is, John five three. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Saying no doesn't make you mean. Doesn't make you bad. At times, it's the most Christ-like thing to do. Let me give you an example to make this practical. And I'm not in any way, don't nobody take this, and I'm not saying it about you, I'm saying, I'm saying share, okay? Is that for me, my most valuable commodity in life is time. My time is the most precious thing to me. And some, one time someone asked me, like we were with a group, and they were talking about like love languages. And what's like your love language? You know, and someone was saying, like, you know, when people, you know, nice words. And someone was saying, you know, gifts or whatever. It is. And I said, my, I said it instinctively. My love language, the way you show me love, is when you give me the gift of time. They're like, what's that mean? I said, when somebody does something for me, that gives me more time. And then the only example that I think of, I said, for example, this girl had an appointment with me, and then she canceled at the last minute. They were like, that's frustrating. I'm like, no, because now I just had an extra half hour. Like, this is like the kindest thing this person could ever do. Okay, with that said, please don't go start making a bunch of appointments with me and canceling them. But my point is, my point is when someone says to me, like, here's some time. That to me is like, that's the best thing. You know, when someone says, hey, I can help out with this at church. And if you're doing it, like, I can do it like that. That to me is the best thing. Gift of time is very precious for me. Not because it could be in a selfish way. All right, But I like to believe that it's not in a selfish way. I like to believe it's because I got many things that, that I would love to put more time into. I got my kids over here. I'm starting with my wife, so I got my wife over here. Okay? okay, Let me start with my God. Let me start with God. Okay, <laughs> We'll go God, wife, and then kids, okay? Just so we're, we're cool. I got God. I, and I wish I had more time to invest in my relationship with God. Like God wants a lot from me. He wants me to work on myself. God wants me to spend time in his word. And I want to do those things. So I want time for that. Of course, my lovely wife. What's greater than to spend an evening with my lovely wife? Okay, I wish I had more time for her. I wish I had more time for my kids. Throw the baseball around, uh, teach the girl how to swim. Like, I wish I had more time just to hang out. And then I wish I had more time for all the things that the church needs and to be a better leader and a better priest for the church. I wish I had more time to prepare so that way when I come here on Sunday that, that what's coming to you is, is higher quality. Like, I have a lot of things I'd love to do with my time. When somebody comes to me to try to steal my time... Me saying no to them, I look at it this way. I'm not saying no. I'm saying yes, but just yes to someone different. When you come and say, hey, I need you on Saturday night to do this. And I know if I stay up late on Saturday, I can't get up early on Sunday. You know whose time? I'm, if I say yes to you, you, know who I'm saying no to? I'm saying no to him. Because my time on Sunday morning with him. And then if on Sunday afternoon you say, I need you to do this, need you to do this, or this, this, and that. If I say yes to you, maybe I'm saying no to my kids. See how that works? You know, I may be saying if, if when me and my wife are supposed to go out on a date and somebody calls and I spend an hour with them on the phone, I said yes to them, but I said no to her. See how that works? That's why boundaries are important. And I'm not saying only spend time with your kids, only your wife, only God. I'm not saying like that. What I'm saying is there are certain times we have to practice saying no. And in essence, that no is really a yes, frees you to do more. I'll I'll explain how you know when to say no. I'll get to that. Just stick with me in case you're saying like, how do I know when to say no? I'll get to that at the end. Number three, learn to confront in love. And this goes back to what I said last week. So I want to just touch on this real quick because learning to confront in love up front will save you a lot of problems on the back end. Like confronting that person in love and saying, hey, this and this The track you're headed down is not good because back to my first example with the guy who had no job. All right, telling him up front, say, hey, buddy, let me just tell you how this works in our family. You have to get a job. You have to have an income because I'm just letting you know, you may be okay now, but when you marry the girl, she's leaving and you're leaving too and you're not coming in here. Saying it up front can avoid us some problems down the road. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Don't wait for it to escalate. Go to your brother alone. Not on Facebook. okay, Not on Twitter. Go to your friend alone and say, Hey, you need a job. Job, good. Say, Hey, this path you're headed down. It's not good. Confront him in love. In fact, I think you'd agree with me. If I see my friend walking, if I, if you see, here I am, you see me and I'm walking, I'm looking this way and I'm walking like this, Uh, you don't confront me about what's about to happen right now, I'd say you don't love me. You see someone walking towards a cliff and they're not paying attention or they don't see the danger and you don't say anything, I'd say that's unloving. I'd say the most loving thing you could do is say, hey, stop walking that way, right? Now, some of you say, well, how do I get that person to accept it? I discovered the key to getting people to accept your confrontation. You want me to tell you this? If you struggle, you say, how do I convince that person? That person doesn't listen. I'll tell you the key solve 99% of the problems. You want me to tell you? Accept it yourself. Model what you hope he will have. Marriage, friendship, brother, sister, model it. Show that you can accept criticism. Show that you can accept confrontation. And I promise you, then when you go to that person, they'll be much, they'll have their guard down. They'll be much more likely to accept your confrontation if you accepted their confrontation the week before. Confront and love. Four, you compliance. Y'all need to hear this one. Allow consequences when needed. Allow consequences when needed. Now, Some of you, everyone here is at a different point on the spectrum. Some of you are very good at confronting and confrontation and consequences. Maybe you go back to number one, okay? Spend a little more time on number one. Some of you are the opposite. Spend more time here. Like I always say, is that I'm not trying to tell you, like I'm not trying to say we're all the same. We all, it's it's never like that. Is that this is the way it is. And some of us were very good at number three and four. But we stink at number one and probably about number five when we get to number five. So see where it is that you, you fall on the spectrum. I just don't want to give someone here who, who is like the consequence guru, like the chief consequence person, and they declare the consequences for the whole wide world, more ammunition to go out and start declaring consequences to everyone in his or her household. Point is, if I have a problem like this, if I got a cut, I got a paper cut, that's okay, just be okay. I got a little bit bigger cut. Small little Band-Aid. Bigger cut, bigger Band-Aid. Big, big, big cut, bigger Band-Aid. Sometimes the consequences need to escalate when the problem doesn't get solved. Sometimes you try to solve the problem with no consequence. Sometimes my kid didn't eat his vegetables. Okay, that's fine. Just don't tell your mother. Okay? Sometimes my kid, you know, didn't want to brush his teeth. Okay, time out. Sometimes my kid takes the remote control, and beats the other kid over the head with the remote control. <laughs> Timeout. Like, that's not a time where you say, excuse me, you know, if you continue to bash your brother's head with the remote control, it might cause his self-esteem to be a little bit low, because it'll cause brain damage. <laughs> At that point in time, there needs to be more serious consequences. Proverbs 19.19. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you'll have to do it again. Amen to that one, right? Rescue them, and be prepared to do it again. Sometimes there needs to be consequences. With my child example. A three-year-old child, sometimes explaining to them doesn't solve the problem. Sometimes it needs to be consequence. Sometimes you have 30-year-old people who act like three-year-olds. They have the same maturity. And explaining to them is isn't going to work. Sometimes it needs to be consequences. You say that to me again, I will walk out of the house. You ask me for money again, I will not give it to you. If you do that again in this roof, I will ask you to leave the house. Not easy, but sometimes it's needed. Number five summary the aim of where we want to get to i put in your notes aim not for equality and that sounds like shouldn't it be that that's what we're aiming for well, write this down and let me explain this to you aim not for equality your aim in your relationships is grace and truth Equality is overrated. Equality is overrated. Now you think I lost my mind. He's gonna come here in front of a very diverse group of people and say, don't be equal. Yes, I say it's not equal. And I say Jesus doesn't treat us equally. Treat us fairly. Fairness and equality are not the same. Everyone should be treated fairly, but not equally. Everyone should be treated as Jesus treated them with grace and truth. Not one or the other. Not a compromise, not 50-50. Fullness of grace, fullness of truth. What do I mean? John chapter 1, verse 17. Twice in the chapter when it talks about the incarnation of the Logos, incarnation of Christ, when Christ came down and took flesh, it says twice that he came with grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was equality. The law was equality. Everyone fast till this hour. Everyone give this giving, this offering. Everyone make this sacrifice. And it basically made the line so high, no one could keep it. Jesus didn't. Jesus came with grace and truth. What's that mean? Saw a lady in John chapter 8 who was caught in adultery. Truth? She's guilty. She's guilty. Can't sugarcoat that. She was caught in the act. About the worst way to get caught. In the act. Dragged out. Pharisee said... Law says we should stone her. Jesus says the truth is she should be stoned. But grace, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. Everyone walked away. Jesus picked her up. Said, lady, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What's that? It's grace and truth. That's what she needed. That's what she needed. Someone else, Samaritan woman. Same thing. Truth would have said... She deserves to be punished. And she, she's an adulterous woman. She punished her. Grace by itself would have said, no, 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 forgive her. It's okay. What does grace and truth say? It says, lady, just like the adulterous woman, I want to fill you. And I want to make you satisfied in life. But get rid of those husbands. See how that works? Grace and truth. A common mistake that we make is we think that we have to treat everyone the same. Here's a homeless person. Ah, if I help that homeless person, I'm about to help every homeless person. No, you don't. That's what I discovered. Is you don't. There's no rule. Doesn't say it. If you're allowed just to help that one. Ah, if I help that guy, then I have to help everybody who asks me. No. Do you need help just that guy? No one says it. There's nothing that says it. What's the standard? The standard is grace and truth in every one of my relationships. And with every relationship, what I'm saying is, it's relationship, it's not formula, it's not an equation, it's not, everybody go out and give all your money to the poor. No, no, it's not like that. If you see a poor person, and you feel led by God to give, give. Go for it. You don't need to give it to everyone. Someone needs to talk, they're carrying a burden that's too heavy for them, go ahead, help them. It doesn't mean you have to help every single person, but you know what? If I help one person and you help one and you help one and you help one and you help one, we'll help every person, right? If every one of us bears our load and helps the guy next to us with his burden, we'll get it all covered. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, I, I'm telling you, you see all the miracles he did? Go back and read all the miracles that he didn't do. Go read all the miracles that he didn't do. Because you'll find him. Walk down the road and help this one. And then this person, ignored. And you'll see him, like I said, pool of Siloam. And tiptoeing through there, hope I don't wake them up. Okay? And find this one and heal this one. On his way out, no, sorry, I can't help you. On the same day that Jesus healed this, Jesus didn't. And when he healed Lazarus, when Lazarus raised from the tomb, there was plenty of graves next to Lazarus, full of dead people. And certainly those people would be like, hey, since you're in the raising the dead kind of a mood. He said, no, sorry. Not going to do it. Why? He dealt with each one with grace and truth. I'll leave you all with this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. This is the goal of this series. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Last week, I spoke about how our goal in this series is not to resolve issues, but to reconcile relationships. There's a difference. Our goal is full restoration is what it says. There are no two people and no two relationships that are the same. That's why the only path to true, full restoration is grace and truth. And with every circumstance, again, we're not robots. It's not a formula. I need to deal with that crazy maker with grace and truth. Sometimes you need an extra dose of grace. Sometimes you need an extra dose of truth. Sometimes you'll say, well, last week I gave them, it doesn't matter. The situation that's in front of me right now, I deal with, with full grace and full truth. That's exactly how Jesus deals with us. If I took turns to bring you all one by one and ask you, tell me how God deals with you, I won't hear two stories that's the same. Won't hear two that's the same. But I will hear every single story be full of grace and full of truth, because that's how God works. My prayer, and I'm hoping as we continue in this series, is that as we continue and seek to do it God's way, that the God of love and the God of peace will be with us, that as we strive for full restoration and reconciliation, and we try to do it God's way, then the God of peace will be with us, and he'll be on our side, and he'll be making rough things smooth. And long time gaps, bridging. Maybe not, okay, but he'll bridge. That's my prayer, and I hope that you share with me in that prayer, and I hope that we realize that prayer as well. Let's stand for a prayer now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your truth and the way lord you deal with each one of us individually the way you look at each one of us in our needs and our weaknesses and our whatever's and you give to us exactly what it is that we need for every situation lord all of us are lifting our hearts and we're thinking of those crazy makers in our lives where there isn't reconciliation and where there is like a wall or where there is the opposite with no boundary whatsoever We're praying, Lord, that you would restore us to relational health during this time. We're fasting, we're praying, we're seeking your name, Lord. and We're asking, Lord, that we might all truly be one body and one spirit and that you would break down walls that have been up for so long and you'd build some boundaries that need to be built as well, especially with those people who really struggle with this, Lord. Praying, Lord, that you would be with us and you would work miraculously because that's the only thing you know how to do, Lord, is work in big, miraculous, majestic, fantastic ways. We love you, Lord. and We praise you with all of our hearts. We glorify you for everything that you've done for us and everything that you are for us. Accept our prayers this day in the name of your Son with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you all next weekend.